welcome back to the Euctropolis podcast. I'm your host, James Hill. This week, we'll discover what a traditional Bulgarian folk song has in common with the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Dire Straits, and that theme music from 2001, A Space Odyssey. Plus, we'll learn what all that has to do with my irrational fear of whales. The animal, not the country. Stick around. One of the courses at euktropolis.com is called The Ukulele Way. And The Ukulele Way is all about one thing. Even though there are six levels of this course going from easy to hard, it's all about one thing. And that is how to play the melody and the chords and the rhythms at the same time on the ukulele. Like, for example... like a musical juggling act. And since I was a kid, I've been fascinated by how that is done. That magic trick that takes a melody and some chords and rhythms and rolls it all up into one magic sound where you can do all of that at once with just one instrument. I've been collecting over the years strategies and songs and techniques and approaches and ideas uh, about how to do this very thing. And at a certain point, I just wrapped them all up into one sequential course and put that out there as the ukulele way. And it's really a journey from what you thought the ukulele could do to what you never dreamed the ukulele could do. And it's very sequential, and along the way, I'm there answering questions. And that's exactly how I stumbled across the inspiration for this week's episode, which is not really a question, it's more of a comment, a very brief comment by a student named Grace, who's working on lesson three of book six. That's the the final level of this method. And lesson three is uh, all about this Bulgarian folk melody called Elenki, which sounds like this. This melody really captures the imagination of a lot of students who come through the method because it's so unlike what we tend to play on the ukulele. And one of the features of this melody and this arrangement is that it includes a lot of these chords that have that sort of dreamy, kind of spooky quality about them. And this is what Grace is commenting on uh, when she says, thank you for putting this lesson together. She says, 
it sounds kind of sad and scary. <laughs> it's a short comment, but it really caught my attention and led me down a bit of a rabbit hole this week. And I want to take you along for the ride as we explore this sound together. First of all, what is that sound? The chord that I'm playing right now, if you want to play along, is from the ceiling down to the floor. The frets are zero, two, three, and five. And that gives me this great big open resonant sound that can't really even be called a chord because there's only two notes there. There's a G and a D and another G and another D. So really just what I guess you could call a dyad. That's it. There's only two notes, even though there's four strings. It's very open sounding, very resonant. And to my ear, it sounds um, non-committal. <laughs> you know, in a world where you've got major chords and you've got minor chords, this sound is somewhere in between. It's neither here nor there. And that's part of its appeal. It's also part of the reason why it sounds a little spooky. It doesn't declare itself one way or another. It kind of sounds like it's holding something back, like it's not revealing everything about itself. And I think that's one of the reasons why it feels a little murky, right? You know, when I think back to Grace's comment, this sounds kind of sad and scary. Uh, I think of my own <laughs> quirky um, fear of whales. I know this sounds crazy, but and, and I know whales are beautiful animals and, and they're the, the gentle giants of the sea for the most part. Uh, but I've always had this sort of irrational fear of whales, and I don't think it's actually a fear of the animal so much as it is the fear of not knowing that something huge is basically right in front of your nose. I think it's a fear of murkiness. It's a fear of not knowing. And when I imagine sort of a uh, a scene where I'm sort of floating in the water and it's murky all around me. And then sort of in the distance, this shadowy figure emerges and comes toward me. And I realize that there's this gigantic whale the size of a school bus, you know, that's just a few feet from me. That is like so terrifying. <laughs> and I'm sure I'm not alone in that. But that that's one of those fears that's just sort of been with me my whole life. And this chord kind of brings out that sort of an uncertainty in a musical form. And I think that's why a lot of us are not only sort of spooked by this chord, but also drawn to it. Because for every person who thinks that, you know, it's scary to swim with whales, <laughs> there's another person who thinks that's incredibly exciting and compelling and wonderful. And so this kind of open, non-committal chord um, can go either way. It can draw you in, or it can really just spook you. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I remember the first time I heard this kind of a sound. And it was not while I was listening to traditional Bulgarian folk music. It was actually when I was listening to the Red Hot Chili Peppers in 1996. I was obsessed with their album, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. And on that album is the song, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. And it starts with this riff. This is the first thing you hear in that tune. And I was just hooked. Like, it was such a cool sound, right? Uh, you might not have been a child of the 90s listening to the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but you may have heard this sound in uh, in another place. Maybe you heard Mark Knopfler, Dire Straits, Money for Nothing. Maybe your ears really perked up when you heard this. Same kind of sound, different band, different time. Uh, Maybe you heard this kind of open, resonant, uh, non-binary sound uh, when you heard Deep Purple playing uh, Smoke on the Water. Chords that are not major or minor but just leave you kind of wondering, kind of hanging. Another great example of this is... uh, Of course, also sprach Zaratustra. Uh, or the theme from 2001, A Space Odyssey. This one's so powerful because it just does this open chord for a start. Sort of neutral, neutral, neutral sound. And then major, minor. And like, you're getting everything you're getting a non-committal sort of neutral sound that is neither major or minor. And then just when you think you're going to get some kind of resolution, it just gives you both major, minor. And it's like, well, which one is it? Which one is it going to be? Such an unsettling kind of a feeling. You, you, you're not on firm footing here. It's funny when I think of other places that I've heard this sound. I think I always think of Vancouver, BC, uh, near where I grew up. Vancouver, BC, if you're out there and you're listening in Vancouver, BC, back me up on this. If you ride the SkyTrain on the Expo line, and the, when the doors close, you will hear this chord. That's when the doors close, right? and then the train takes off. It's no accident that they pick those notes from that chord 
that has no third in it. It has no major or minorness about it. It's so neutral because you know what? They don't want any trouble on the train. They don't want people to feel good. They don't want people to feel bad. They don't want any problems on the train. You know, people are already stressed out enough. They're going to work. They're coming home from work. Whatever it is, this is the perfect chord for that moment. And, you know, <laughs> when they built the Millennium Line, I think it's called, uh, you know, like a couple decades later, uh, I was so curious to know what chord they were going to play when the doors closed. So I was like, all, you know, like, what's it going to be? Is it going to be major or minor this time? Are they going to go out on a limb? And uh, when you ride the Millennium Line in Vancouver, BC, you will hear this before the doors close. That's it. <laughs> it's just like, so do. You know, again, totally non-committal, not going to say, we're not going to, you know, use this sound to uh, welcome people onto the train. Hey! You know, <laughs> and we're also not going to do this. <laughs> we're not going to go with happy or sad. We're just going to keep it. And it just goes to show the power these harmonies have over us that they can make us laugh or cry or just stay out of trouble long enough to get home and that it all hinges on one note. It's amazing. The other place this takes me is the blues. And I know this chord on its own doesn't sound very bluesy because it's not very bluesy. But it makes me think of how the blues treats the third of the chord. How blues musicians approach this incredibly influential note that's three steps higher than the root. For example, if we're playing a, a G chord, if I count up three from the root G, A, B, then that B note is the third of the chord, three steps up from the name of the chord. And that note is hugely influential because if it's a major third well then it's going to be a major chord if it's a minor third up which is a slightly smaller distance it's going to be a minor chord one note has all the influence but if we do away with that note we get out from under the influence of that note, then we're back to this neutral, hazy, murky kind of a sound. But the blues doesn't shy away from that note. The blues just doesn't cut and run like that. The blues deals with this head on by embracing the third in all its ambiguity. What I mean is, well, you've heard the blues. I mean, you know that blues musicians are always bending notes by pushing and pulling the string. Right, and that's part of what gives the blues its 
soulful quality and its real lyrical quality. But what I find with uh, students who are just beginning to explore the blues is that they know that they should be bending notes, but they don't always know which notes to bend. And it turns out that some notes just bend better than others. (laughs) Some notes are better bent. Uh, And specifically, it's the third of the chord that really feels malleable and gets that bluesy sound. So let's say I'm back in the key of G. If I want that bluesy sound, I'm going to go right to the third. And we've already figured out that the third of the G chord is B, and that minor third is B flat. So if I want that bluesy sound, what I'm going to do is I'm going to smudge the third. I'm going to muddy the waters of the third so that it's not clear if it's major or minor, like this. Now, was that a B flat? Or was it a B natural? Well, the answer is it's a little bit of both. It's just a bent third, like this. get this same kind of effect of like which one is it we're kind of got a foot in both worlds and instead of shying away from the third of the chord to give us this kind of a you know glassy sound the blues confronts the third embraces it bends it and by diving headlong into that third it still manages to slip away from us. We can't pin it down. And that's one of the reasons we keep coming back to music like that, because it doesn't reveal itself completely. It leaves something to the imagination. There's some murkiness that we can't quite fathom. And so whether that's the Red Hot Chili Peppers or Dire Straits or Deep Purple or maybe Richard Strauss or maybe it's a great old blues tune, or maybe it's a traditional folk melody from Bulgaria. Whatever the case may be, you know all these tunes have one thing in common, and that's they can all sound great on an ukulele. Thanks, Grace, for the comment that inspired this week's episode. Good luck with your ukulele journey. I hope you're enjoying the ukulele way. Thanks for tuning in to the Uketropolis podcast. My name is James Hill. I'll be back again next week with another ukulele answer to another ukulele question from a student at uketropolis.com. If you want to hear your question on the podcast, go to uketropolis.com, take a course, and ask a question in any one of the lessons or in the community. I hope to see you there. Until next week, keep on strumming.